Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I'm the host of the Bible in Life, and I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for the opportunity for us to uh, sit down together and reflect on the scriptures together. And my hope and my prayer is that this helps you follow Jesus well, right where you live, today and every day. And over the last several episodes, what we have been doing is reflecting on just some key texts out of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we've packaged that around this idea of your life's focused and looking at some key things that should shape the focus and the orientation and the direction of our life. And in today's episode, we're going to look at a passage that uh, the well-known New Testament scholar N.T. Wright refers to as the greatest challenge of the letter. So there's a lot of great stuff in the letter to the Philippians, but N.T. Wright says this passage that we're going to look at on this episode is the greatest challenge in the letter. And so it's worth us really Uh, taking some time to make sure we hear it well, because I think when we read this passage, it doesn't sound like the greatest challenge to us uh, in the letter, as N.T. Wright says. Let me just read you the the main passage we're going to look at, then we'll kind of jump in and wrestle with kind of setting it up and some of the details. And so this is the passage N.T. Wright is talking about when he says that. It's Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, which says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the passage. That's the passage that N.T. Wright says is the greatest challenge in the letter of the Philippians for them and for us as well. So let me set that up to help us understand what's really going on in that short little passage. Then we'll look at some context. And hopefully by the time we're done, we'll have a really good grasp of not just what that text says, but why it's such an incredible challenge for us. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever traveled to a foreign country? And depending on the country you travel to, uh, the differences between the way they operate and the way your country you live in operates can be very startling. I had a friend that just got back a couple weeks ago from spending time in the Philippines. It was the first time he had ever been in a country like that. And uh, he was, he said, man, it was the first time in my life I felt like I experienced real serious, significant culture shock because uh, the mode of living and the some of the ways they go about life and even the the uh, just completely obvious disparity between the the rich and the poor all of that's just right there for everyone to see and for him it was just shocking and amazing because the differences were so obvious have you ever had that kind of experience i remember when i traveled to haiti it was like wow the culture there is quite different than the culture of the united states some things are beautifully wonderful about their culture and some of the things that are different. Some things were like, wow, that is challenging and that is different. Some things are just, it's just the way life is done. Um, And it's not bad. It's not, you know, like one's good, one's bad. It's not right, one's wrong. It's just significantly different, right? Here's why that's important for Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It's, It's important to realize that your way of life, wherever you currently live, whatever country you're living in, 
And however that country operates, your way of life, your way of being and acting, your values, right, your priorities, uh, the things you do every day and why you do those things, your whole way of life displays the values and the practices of the culture to which you belong. That's just the way it works. Your whole way of operating has to do with the nature of the culture in which you are currently living. Uh, sometimes that's even uh, uh, regional within a country. Like in my country, the United States of America, it's such, such a spread out massive country that there are regional differences just because of the climate of a certain region versus the climate of another region. That's going to affect it. Um, there are uh, kind of historical background things in various regions. So, for example, typically, not always, and I think some of this might even be changing, but typically in, in my culture, the Midwest tends to at least kind of historically have had a higher percentage of people who at least went to church and would have called themselves Christians. Now, I think some of that's changing, but that's the Midwest. The part of the country that I grew up in, the Northwest, is one of the most unchurched regions in the country. And people just aren't interested in the church. They don't know church. They know very little of even basic Bible stories in the Northwest where I grew up. And that's just regionally different within my own country. And so that's just a religious difference. Um, there were food differences. There was even the vernacular and the way people talk in the Midwest when I lived there versus the Northwest. Um, and that's just regionally. Then you go to a different country, right? And it could be totally different. It's just important for us to realize. Again, not right or wrong, good or bad, just different. That you're, the whole way you operate and act and what you do and why you do it is is uh, really displays the values of the culture to which you belong. Now, that is um, really important for grasping what Paul's getting at in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 20, and really the surrounding verses around it. And it has to do with, when we talk about our life's focus, it has to do with um, where, where we get our identity from how we choose to operate even within the culture and the country where we live. It has to do with our expectations and our hopes right where we live. And again, every culture has certain hopes and expectations and dreams and desires. And Philippians chapter 3.20 is actually for followers of Jesus trying to shape and reshape and challenge maybe the ones you've just implicitly absorbed from your country of origin. And, and the reason for that is because of the whole nature of the city of Philippi. When Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and we wait for a savior from there, Paul is actually playing off of the situation in the city of Philippi. You see, the city of Philippi, if you look on a map of the Roman world of Paul's day, the city of Philippi was located in a, a region called Macedonia. It's north of Greece, or almost like northern Greece. And um, it had a important and distinguished history. And 
I don't want to go into too many of the details because we just don't have time for that here. If you want all the details, you can actually check out the listener's commentary on the letter to the Philippians. You can listen to my comments on this whole passage in detail and really the whole letter of Philippians as I just walk you through it there. So if you want all the details, check out the listener's commentary on Philippians. But the city of Philippi, its history, the most important thing about it for this conversation is that the... The climactic battle of the Roman Civil War that ensued after the assassination of Julius Caesar, the kind of one of the climactic battles to that war was fought on the plains outside of the city of Philippi. And when the forces of Octavian defeated uh, the opposing forces in that battle, and Octavian becomes the Caesar Augustus, by the way, of Luke chapter 2, right? So he actually becomes that emperor, Caesar Augustus. And he was the general who led this climactic battle and won victoriously. Well, when that happened, Octavian took some of his uh, military men and he, he settled them, gave them land and property there in the city of Philippi. And he bestowed upon the city of Philippi the right of being a Roman colony. And so there is Philippi in northern Greece, in the region of Macedonia, hundreds of miles away from the city of Rome itself. But because uh, of a, this act of Octavian bestowing this right on it, Philippi is like a little piece of Rome in northern Greece. And that's exactly what uh, Paul is playing off of when he writes to the church and says, your citizenship is in heaven. So for Roman citizens living in Philippi, um, their citizenship, though they lived in Philippi, their citizenship was in Rome. That gave them special privileges and special rights. It freed them from certain taxes and all sorts of things. And the city of Philippi was super proud of this heritage and give, being given this honor. We know that because even though it's in northern Greece and the popular language of the day was Greek, the official language of the city was Latin because almost all of the inscriptions that have been uncovered in Philippi from the first century are in Latin. That was the official city. They, they're honoring that and they're proud of that. And so there were those who were citizens of Rome living there and there were those who were not citizens of Rome living there. And that created some tension between them because the citizens of Rome got all these special perks and privileges and uh, rights and all of that. And so they lived in Philippi as citizens of Rome. And what Paul is getting at in this verse of chapter 20 is for the church, take that imagery and now recognize that what's true uh, of Philippi, like being a little colony of Rome in northern Greece, you, O oh church, are like that inside the city of Philippi. You're like a little colony of heaven there in Philippi. And that's where your true identity comes from. And that's where your citizenship is from. Um, and so that's what Paul is saying when he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship isn't in Rome. Your citizenship isn't in Philippi. Your citizenship isn't in uh, America. Your citizenship isn't in the UK. It's not in South Africa. Your citizenship isn't in Australia or New Zealand. Your citizenship isn't in Nigeria. Like whatever country you're living in, your ultimate and most important citizenship is in heaven. That's Paul's point. 
And now maybe we begin to get a sense of why N.T. Wright says this is the greatest challenge in the letter of Philippians. So let me go back to the text and, and actually broaden out a bit, grab a little bit of the preceding context. Let's read it again with some comment and some reflection so we can hear it now that we at least under understand some of the original setting. So let's pick up in verse 17. And here's what Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. He's just told them how he has counted all things as lost for the sake of Christ. What we looked at in last week's episode, he's told them how he fixes his gaze on the heavenly reward and he presses towards that. And so now he's saying to them, I want you to imitate me in that. Follow my example in that. This is a common refrain in Paul's teaching in his ministry. He recognizes that uh, disciples need concrete examples to grow in their discipleship, and he regularly offers himself as one. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? As he says to the Corinthians. And so, same thing here. Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So, imitate me, and then, not only that, look at those who, who are imitating me, who follow the same pattern, and Watch them and imitate them. We need those concrete examples. So he's saying, that's going to give you a pattern of how you're supposed to go about living there in Philippi. Then he explains what the problem is in verses 18 and 19. He says, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even weeping, even with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So they go about their life. They walk, they conduct themselves, they carry out their life not as servants of Jesus, not as disciples of Jesus, not as those who have died to self and are living for Jesus. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And it's not clear whether these are people who had once professed faith in Jesus uh, and walked away, but it, it sounds like it. It sounds like in some sense, uh, maybe that's what's going on. Or Paul is just talking generally about uh, the the you know people around them in the world around them that they don't get Jesus they don't get the messiah whatever it is what paul is saying is these people's approach to life their way of life largely reflects the dominant culture around them it reflects the culture of philippi and the culture of rome since philippi was a roman colony and their values and their ambitions and the way they do relationships and the things that they that are they prioritize all of that is largely shaped by the dominant culture around them they carry out their life as enemies of the cross of christ he says in verse 19 their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And by belly, he means their appetites. They live for to satisfy their appetites and their desires and their, sen uh, their senses. And so their God is their appetites. And they glory in their shame. In other words, they boast about and rejoice in and celebrate things that they should actually be ashamed of if they actually knew the truth about Jesus and walked in his way. Their minds are set on earthly things. So, they are preoccupied with, they are focused on, and they find their identity in the dominant culture around them. And thus, that's what they're shaped by. That's how they live. And, and here's the challenge then for those of us who say, we want to follow Jesus. The fact is, even though we all want to follow Jesus, we all swim in culture stream, don't we? We all swim in the stream of the dominant culture around us. Again, wherever you're living, 
your uh, your country has a culture and we tend to just swim in it and absorb it and we don't always stop and intentionally reflect on it. And so um, the world I'm familiar with, the culture I'm living in, like consumerism runs rampant and is deep and has even affected the way we do church. Individualism is massive, right? Like uh, I have my rights and I'm an individual and we tend to just do our own thing and we don't see ourselves as part of a whole and a collective and extended family and all of that. Everyone's got to find their own way, right? Technology is huge and smartphones and social media and entertainment is everywhere. And we have access to the 24-hour news site And it's just so easy for us to be enculturated by the values of the world around us. We absorb it in the air we breathe, and we rarely ever stop to examine it and to examine our participation in it. And so Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 and following, really jolts us back to reality and calls us to remember who we are. Like, look at Paul. Look at the people who imitate Paul. Look at the people who genuinely have absorbed the way of Jesus and are walking in it and imitate their example. And it's after everything he says about those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, who set their minds on earthly things. It's in that context where Paul then states, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our focus is not on earthly things. Our ambitions are not shaped by the dominant culture around us. Our goals, our priorities, our desires, and what we want, no, that's not our values of the culture around us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have actually um, transferred our citizenship into like a new country. We're part of a new commonwealth, or we have a new homeland with a new government. And that new government has a whole new set of values and priorities and customs and practices. And We have to make sure we hear what Paul is saying in verse 20 accurately and clearly. It's easy for us to misunderstand it. When we hear our citizenship is in heaven, um, what we tend to think, because we're we're not living in Philippi, we don't get how citizenship worked for them, right? What we, we almost tend to think is like, yes, I'm a citizen in heaven and I can't wait to go there when I die. It's just, that's not what Paul means by this, because that's not what Rome meant when it bestowed upon the citizens of Philippi the right of Roman citizenship. It didn't mean, it wasn't a means of trying to get more and more people, you know, to go to Rome and, you know, overpopulate the city even more than it already was. The city was overcrowded. That wasn't the goal. The goal was to export the culture of Rome into other parts of the empire. That was the goal of Roman citizenship. Um, And so when someone in Philippi said, we're citizens of Rome, they wouldn't mean, so we can't wait to go live there. That's not what they had in mind. Um, What they had in mind was, we're citizens of Rome. And so we're going to uphold Roman values and Roman priorities and Roman ambitions right here in Philippi. And that's Paul's point for us as followers of Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that That doesn't just mean we're looking forward to going and living there when we die. That means right now we're like a little outpost 
of the kingdom of heaven wherever we live. We're, we're like a, a, a group of people that's like, we're going to uphold heaven's values and heaven's priorities and heaven's ambitions right here, right now, right where we live. And notice that Paul also says there in verse 20 that not only is our citizenship in heaven, but we wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this plays off their situation. Uh, the, the one who was called savior for a Roman citizen was the emperor. He was their savior and he was their Lord. That's the titles that was ascribed to the emperor by Roman citizens. And Paul's playing off that and saying, we don't look to Rome to be our savior. We don't look to uh, the government of the day to be our savior. In my case, we don't look to Washington, D.C. to be our savior and our Lord, the one to bring peace and safety and security to the realm. That's not who we look to. We look to heaven's Lord, heaven's savior, to be the one that provides peace and safety and security. We know he is the one who will secure our life. And so we look to heaven for heaven's savior, and we wait for him to return uh, to establish his kingdom fully and completely. And heaven's savior is described in verse 20 as the Lord Jesus Christ. These are This is a royal description. It is Jesus the King. He is savior and Lord. These were all titles for the Roman emperor, savior, Lord, king, right? But Jesus now, Jesus of Nazareth has become king of heaven and earth. He is the world's true Lord, not whatever political person is in power, not the emperor at the time of the writing of this letter, Emperor Nero in Rome. He's not the world's savior and Lord. Um, you know, the president of the United States is not the world's savior and Lord. The uh, the the prime minister of whatever country you live in is not savior and Lord, right? Like Jesus, he's the king. He's the, the one we look to to be savior and Lord, rescuer and the one that's going to establish his kingdom. We put our hope in him. We trust in him. We focus on him and we recognize that he He's got a kingdom, and we are now part of that kingdom. That's where our citizenship is found. And so we want to uphold the values and the aims and the priorities and the objectives of, of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of our Savior and Lord, of the kingdom of Jesus, the, the Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who we serve. And so... To be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that calls us to think about ourselves differently and to approach our way of life differently. Our way of life needs to be shaped not by the dominant culture around us and the values of that culture, but by heaven itself. And that reminds us that the gospel isn't just about getting your sins forgiven and being given a ticket to heaven. It's about being called into a new kingdom being a citizen of a new realm, like a new city with a new government. And so the church is a city within a city. We're called out of the city of darkness. We're called out of the city of man and all its brokenness and confusion. And we're called into the city of King Jesus. That's what it means to be the church. We're a city within a city. And we now are going to operate by and uphold the practices and customs and values of King Jesus. So here's what I would ask my, my listeners in America. Are you an American who happens to be a Christian 
or are you a Christian who happens to live in America? In other words, what's your first identity found in? The same is true for uh, the rest, uh, anyone else, wherever you're listening, right? Are you uh, a Canadian who happens to be a Christian or a Christian who just happens to live in Canada? Um, are you a South African who happens to be a Christian or are you a Christian who just happens to live in uh, South Africa, right? Like where, where does your identity come from? Are you a uh, Pakistani who happens to be a Christian, or are you a Christian who just happens to live in Pakistan? Right? Does it wherever you find yourself living, um, what is first in your self understanding? What is first in your allegiance? What is first in shaping your worldview? What is first in shaping your culture and your priorities and your values? Um, first and foremost, we need to think of ourselves as citizens of heaven. And so when we talk about our life's focus, we need to fix our gaze on heaven's king and on his way of life. And we need to live in our present place like a little colony of, like a little outpost of the kingdom of heaven right here, right now in this world. And that needs to shape everything we are and everything we do. And then we keep our gaze on heaven's king, Jesus Christ, the Lord, waiting for him to return as Savior who will establish his kingdom all throughout the world completely and fully. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven here on earth. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I pray it's helpful and challenging and encouraging to you. And thank you to those of you who make this ministry possible by your faithful support. Uh, the Bible Life podcast, the listener's commentary, and this whole online ministry is made possible simply by the generosity of people just like you. So thanks a ton. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by going to johnwhitaker.net. You can click the Give button there. It'll take you to a page through World Family Mission where you can set up a one-time gift or even a monthly uh, recurring donation. So thanks a ton in advance for your support. May God bless you. And I look forward to talking with you again next week.